last phrase of that song and brings us home to God. That is what he does as our great high priest. And my uh, desire in bringing this message is that every one of us will have a new found appreciation of Christ as our great high priest. The theme of Hebrews is Christ, our great high priest. Let me make good on that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 1. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. This is the principal point. This is the end of everything we've said. This is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now that is the principal theme of the book of Hebrews. The priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read some other scriptures. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Look in chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest representing me, representing my interest before God. That is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Look in chapter 6, verse 20. Whether the forerunner is for us entered into the holy place, into the holy of holies, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to get more into that when we get into chapter 7, but he's above a Levitical priest. He's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Look in chapter 7, verse 24. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now remember what a priest does. He brings us to God. God cannot be approached apart from this priest. But I want us to understand this. God provided this priest. Somebody says, why is God so unapproachable? If you approach through this priest, you'll be received. That is his promise. He is very approachable through this priest. He provided the priest. I, I always uh, think, why do we even think things like that? Why is he so unapproachable? He provided the priest. He provided the sacrifice. He provided himself. 
verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, for such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. Chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest, this is talking about the Levitical priesthood, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, this priest, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now I think this is interesting. Do you know in the, the epistles of Paul, he doesn't use the word priest one time. Now he speaks of the intercession of Christ, which is obviously a part of his priestly function, but he doesn't use the word priest or high priest once. The only time he mentions it is in the book of Acts when uh, he said to the high priest, God's going to smite you, you whited wall. And they said, are you going to speak to God's high priest thus? He said, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know he was the high priest. That's the only time Paul ever uses the word. But do you know in the book of Hebrews, this is mentioned 29 times. The priest, the high priest, the great high priest. Now, chapter 5 gives us some details about the earthly priesthood, the sons of Aaron. Turn with, back with me there. And generally, when we think of priests in this light, we think of the people who slew the animals and burned the animals and offered them up as sacrifices. Now, only the priest was allowed to do this. You couldn't do it. I mean, we have so many examples in the scripture where men try to bypass a priest. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the sons of Korah. There in Numbers chapter 16, they said to Aaron, Moses, we're as holy as you. You can't make this distinction. While we can offer up burnt incense as priests, we're as holy as you. And God opened up the ground and swallowed up 250 of them. What about Saul? When he offered up a sacrifice and failed to wait for Samuel to offer up the sacrifice, God took the throne away from him and he was no longer king and he died in shame and infamy. What about Uzzah? Uzzah, all he does is try to help God. So he put out his hand to steady the ark when it was getting ready to fall off. God smote him instantly. You see, God doesn't need our help. I say this reverently, but God doesn't need my help. He doesn't need your help. What about Uzziah? The scripture says when he was lifted up, the Lord had blessed him as a king, but when he was lifted up, he went into the temple to burn incense and 85 priests said, don't do this, Uzziah. This appertaineth not to thee. And God turned him to a leper immediately. 
Now, the point is, we cannot approach God apart from this great high priest. But thank God he did give Christ to be a great high priest. That's how merciful and that's how gracious he is. He gave his son to be this glorious high priest. Now, look in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men. And that's talking about Aaron and his sons. They were men. Is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, all of these priests are only given to represent this one priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. These uh, physical priests had no saving efficacy in anything they did. They were just given to represent the one priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in, where there's multitudes of, quote, priests, sinful men that supposedly can bring you into God's presence. That's so derogatory to God that you would think somebody like that could bring you into God's presence and he could accept. There's only one priest that can come into God's presence and be accepted. And these men were just given to... Uh, show us that. Now these men were ordained for men. God did this. A man could bring us into God's presence, which Christ did. He's bringing me into God's presence right now. Every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, when these priests came into God's presence, it was not always a sacrificial gift. There were grain uh, gifts, wine gifts, uh, heaths. I mean, there's a bunch of different kinds of, of gifts. And what these did, they expressed love, thankfulness, and a desire for fellowship. That's what they were expressing in that. And every believer loves God and is thankful and wants to express that in gifts. Love gives, doesn't it? That's what love does. Love gives. And we know God doesn't need anything we have as far as our money. You think he needs anything you've got? You've got another thing to think. No. No. He doesn't need a dime from you. But it is our privilege of grace to get, offer up these gifts, these um, grain gifts and so on. They're called gifts. And it, not only does he offer up um, the gifts is our priest. You see, it's only through Christ these can be accepted. You offer up your love, your prayer, your adoration, your gift. There's only one reason God can accept it. It ain't because of you. It's because his son offers it. And let me remind you, he provided his son to do that. What a glorious God to do something like that. He provided his son. And it also says that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Why? Because God is holy and we're not. That's the bare facts of the matter. God is holy and we're not. And he cannot be approached apart from the sacrifice. You see the sacrifice. That, that's a manifestation of God's character. He can't be approached apart from justice being satisfied and holiness being satisfied. Love, every attribute of God is glorified in the sacrifice of Christ. Now these Men priests, these sons of Levi, sons of Aaron, 
They offered gifts and sacrifices. And that's what the Lord does. He takes our gifts and makes them acceptable, a sweet-smelling savor to God. And his sacrifice is utterly successful. Now look at verse 2. These earthly priests, and I, I love this verse of Scripture. You know what it says about these earthly priests? They're going to have to have this. They're going to have to be able to have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. That is the word that generally is talking about being led astray. Notice there's two ways that the sheep are described here. Number one, ignorant. Me and you are ignorant. Dumb sheep. And easily led astray. You know that so. And so what we need is a priest who is compassionate and humane and merciful toward these dumb, straying sheep. Someone who's moderate, gentle, and understanding. And here's why he could be this way. Look in verse 2. And this is the way our Lord is. He is much more compassionate because of Look in verse 15 of chapter 4. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He never sinned, but he experienced everything with regard to sin but the commission of it. I don't know what all that means, but I don't need to. Uh, he is the merciful, faithful, compassionate high priest. Now these human high priests, here's why they could have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also compassed with the infirmity. He couldn't look down on these people because he knew he was just as ignorant. He knew he was just as easily led astray as they were. I think of that passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And this is so applicable to all of us. Wherefore thou art inexcusable, O man. And these priests knew that. Wherefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art the judgest. For you that judgest, anybody know the rest of the verse? Doest the same things. Now this high priest taken from among men was very cognizant of that. Verse 3, and by reason hereof, because he was compassed, bound with infirmity himself, and by reason thereof, he ought, as for himself, so as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. Now, he had first had to offer sacrifice for his own sins before he could legitimately offer sacrifice for sins for the people. Look in chapter 7, verse 27. This is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, unlike these Levitical priests, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once. When he offered up himself. <clears throat> Christ didn't have to offer two sacrifices, only one. Now, look in verse or chapter 5 once again. Now, this office of priests that he was given, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that's called of God, as was. Aaron, no man designated this honor to himself. Nobody said, oh, I think I'd like to be a priest. Yeah, it's very, very similar, really, to the call to preach. 
Somebody thinks, I think I want to be a preacher. I want to be a pastor. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you're called of God to preach. It's a calling. It's not a vocation. It's not a job. It's a calling. And where there's a calling, there will be a desire, there will be a gift, and there will be a hearing. And if all three of those are not in place, you have no evidence that God is in it. Now, these priests were called by God, the sons of Aaron. Verse 5, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee, as he said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the, more, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, God made Christ priest, and what an honor that was to him. And what good news it is to me and you that God made his blessed son this priest. <coughs> God provided a priest who is more compassionate than any of those Levitical priests were. The Lord Jesus is infinitely more compassionate and more, for lack of a better word, sympathetic and understanding. Uh, what a glorious high priest we have. Uh, he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. Our great high priest does. Now, not only was he called to be priest, he was called also to be the sacrifice. Now, in order to worship, you had to have a priest, you had to have a sacrifice, you had to have an altar. Now, the priest would come into God's presence with a sacrifice. But our great high priest brings a different sacrifice. Not the blood of bulls and goats, which can never take away sin, but he brought his own blood. And the Father accepted it. His blood makes it to where when God looks at me, he's pleased. There's no sin there. There's nothing for him to be mad at me about. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm beautiful in the beloved because of my high priest bringing me into the very presence of God. He, he is the priest. He himself is the sacrifice. He brings his own blood. And he's the altar. His body is the altar upon which the sacrifice was offered. What a great high priest. Um, now notice it says in verse 5, But he said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. Now that was quoted in Psalm 2-7. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And that was written 1,000 years before the Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary's tree. But let me show you what Paul says about this in Acts chapter 13. We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it's also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now this thing of the begetting of Christ. How many times is he called the only begotten son? This day have I begotten thee. This is telling us that his begetting is every day. It's eternal. It's not a one-time event. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And he's the lamb raised from the foundation of the world. And God always refers to his son. This day have I begotten thee. And that's the blood of Christ to the Father is always poignant. It's always fresh. It's always new, like the resurrection just took place and the accomplishments of it. As he said also in another place, verse 6, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now this unusual figure 
that shows up in Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek. I have no doubt that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to get into him more when we get into Hebrews chapter 7. But he meets Abraham after the return from the king, uh, the, the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, and Abraham paid tithes to him. And he brought Abraham bread and wine. I have no doubt that that prefigures the Lord's table. He brought unto Abraham bread and wine. And he is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. You read Hebrews chapter 7 and you'll see why I say that. But we'll get back to that uh, later. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, our great high priest, when he was here on this planet, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, I have no doubt that this is talking about Gethsemane's garden. When he offered up strong cryings and tears, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And if it were possible, God would have answered that. But it was not possible for me or you to be saved. This had to take place with him. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the scripture says he sweat great drops of blood at this time, offering up to God strong cryings and tears. And though he were a son, verse 8, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, God doesn't have to obey anybody, does he? He's God. Nobody's going to tell him what to do. But the son had to learn obedience. By the things which he suffered. Now, you know how he learned obedience? Son, drink the cup. Yes, Father. Son, let him nail you to a cross. Yes, Father. Son, let him kill you. Yes, Father. Yet learned he obedience through the things that he suffered. I stand amazed that the Father gave him for this. I stand amazed that he willingly took this upon himself for God's glory and for me and you. Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 9. And being made perfect. Now because of the things he suffered, he is the perfect priest. He's the perfect savior for you. Being made perfect. Having completed what the father gave him to do. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, first let's consider the word salvation. 
He became the author of eternal salvation. Now, to be saved, to be saved. Well, one thing is to be saved from punishment. I realize that, but it's more than that. To be saved. You and I need to be saved. And he is the author of eternal salvation. Now, what do I need to be saved from? Well, number one, I need to be saved from God. He's the one I've sinned against. And I need to be saved from him. And I can't stand before him on my own. I'm going to have to have the priest undertake for me. I need to be saved from God. And I need to be saved from myself. I am my biggest problem. I have no doubt about that. I am my biggest problem. I'm my greatest hindrance. Not you. Not somebody else. I'm the problem. You believe that about yourself? And I need to be saved from my sin. And you remember Matthew one twenty one: Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. I'm saved from the penalty of sin. That's called being justified. There's nothing to condemn me for. When Christ said it is finished, I was justified. When he was raised from the dead, I was justified. When he stood as my surety, I was justified. It's an eternal justification. I've heard people say, what are you talking about eternal justification? Everything he does is eternal. He's called the author of eternal salvation in this very verse. And he saves from the condemnation of sin by making me sinless righteous, without fault before God, saved from the power of sin. Now, what does that mean? If I'm saved, I'm saved from the power of sin. Well, let me tell you exactly what that means. There was a time when I was so completely under the dominion of sin that I didn't even know it. I was so completely under the dominion of sin that I could not believe I lack the ability to believe. I lack the ability to repent. I had no love for God. I was under the complete dominion of sin. But listen to this. Sin shall not reign over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. And I can now do what I could not do. Not only am I saved from the penalty of sin, this is why I need a Savior. You need a Savior. I need somebody to save me. I can't save myself. I need him to save me. I'm saved from the penalty, from the power. And even right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm saved from the presence of sin. Now somebody says, do you still sin? Yeah, you do. But yet the scripture says that we're already glorified, seated together in the heavenlies in Christ. If I'm glorified... Whom he did uh, justify, them he also glorified. If I'm glorified, and that's not will be glorified, it means I am right now. I can only know that by faith, I realize that, but it's true nonetheless. I'm saved from the very presence of sin. I'm in heaven right now, a place where there is no sin. And that is only known by faith. Now, Jesus Christ 
the Son of God, look at verse 9 again, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, this is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. The author. You know what it means? He's the cause. He's the cause of eternal salvation. He's the cause of salvation in every way you can look at that. Um, he's the cause in the sense that salvation is for his glory. That's why I did it. It's to honor God. He's the cause in the sense that he purposed salvation. We read of the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He uh, is the cause in the sense that he purchased our salvation. He paid the debt. He paid it all. All the debt I owe. He's the cause of salvation in the sense that there's one reason I'm born again. It's because God elected me and Christ died for me. And Christ stood as my surety. That's why I'm born again. Because he is the cause. I, I'm thankful I've been born from above, aren't you? I'm so thankful for that. But I know why I am. It's not because of some decision I made. It's because he is the cause. He's in every aspect of salvation. Why do you think you're elect? There's one reason. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Why are you redeemed? He redeemed you. Why are you justified? He justified you. He declared you to be without guilt. You know, even in our glorification, as far as our experience goes, our glorification will be experienced simply by looking at him. 1 John 3, 1. Uh, brethren, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And heaven will be beholding his glory. And don't miss this. Verse 9, in being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation a salvation that never had a beginning now how can that be i don't know but it's so it never had a beginning it will never have an end you see everything he does is eternal it's that way because he is eternal he never stopped being eternal look at hebrews chapter 4 verse 3 For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, or they shall not enter into my rest, is how that should read, although the works were finished, every single one of them, from the foundation of the world. Now this is how secure this salvation is. It was already finished from the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy 1.9, he saved us. He called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which were given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Everything I have now was given to me in Christ before time began. He is the author of eternal salvation. Now, back in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 5, this is what we're going to close with. And being made perfect... He became the author of eternal salvation 
unto all them that obey him. Here's the evidence that you have eternal salvation. You obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand this, the gospel is something that is obeyed. When you hear, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what you do? You obey. When it says, this is his commandment, that we believe on the name of his son and love one another as he gave his commandment, you know what you do? You obey. There is no salvation apart from obedience. And turn with me to Matthew 7. This is the last scripture we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 7. This will give us some idea as to what obedience to him means. And I'm not saved. I'm not saved eternally. I'm not saved in time if I don't obey him. Matthew chapter 7. Twenty-one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. I think that's interesting the way they don't just say Lord, they say Lord, Lord. Surely you know us. Surely you know us. And he goes on to say why he thought the Lord would know them. But yet the Lord says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. There is no salvation apart from doing his will. Now look at the next verse. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? And in your name have we not cast out devils? And in your name we've done many wonderful works. We've done your will. Look at all the things we've done. I mean, we've preached. We've cast out devils. Many wonderful works we've done. Surely we've done your will. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, what is it that they never did? You know the answer to this question. They never believed the gospel. They never believed the gospel. They never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their great high priest to bring them into God's presence. Now, let me leave you with this thought. We have this great high priest. And you know what? We're obeying him right now. We're believing that he is all in our salvation and that he brings us before the Father and we are accepted in the beloved. What a great high priest, the author of eternal salvation. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for our great high priest. Lord, we fumble in our thoughts, in our words, in our motives, in everything we do. But he takes what we bring and makes it perfectly acceptable by you through his intercession as our great high priest. And Lord, to know that 
we're made perfect in him and that we can't get any more saved or any more accepted or any more loved than we are through our great high priest. We thank you for giving him as our great high priest. Lord, what glorious grace on your part, and we give thanks. Enable us to trust our great high priest. In his name we pray.